Dr. Alan Pearce is a clinical neuroscientist. He's a professor at La Trobe University and a concussion CTE researcher. Dr. Pearce, welcome back to SCN. Great to have you on. Good morning. I'm glad to be back on. Were you troubled by the Angus Brayshaw story yesterday? Uh, I mean, every time a player retires, and in particular Angus' situation where he, you know, had the scans, um, you know, it, it's it's certainly, uh, you know, frustrating uh, that we're not doing better here. But uh, I certainly feel for him and, and I hope all goes well for him in the future. There is a chapter in Angus's recent journey, Dr. Pierce, that I wanted to stop you on. Now, he speaks of the positivity and the optimism over the last five months that he had about playing on but then wanting for himself to get this scan a week ago before playing games again. And it it read like something that he had organised and that he had pushed for before discovering his brain had deteriorated since, which begs the question, what if we were dealing with a player, you know, less conscious of the danger? Am I reading that correctly? Yeah, I think... uh certainly think that Angus is, you know, very aware of his own brain health and, and you know, we, we try and uh, educate players to to become aware of their own brain health the same way as they would for their own physical health and their own mental health. Uh, and sometimes I think we lose the, the difference between mental health and also sort of brain or neurological health. So Angus actually going ahead and doing this on his own accord kind of shows that he's very aware uh, and is, is you know, prepared to uh, actually look and see how he is travelling. So a few months ago I was reading, you wrote a, a column um, and you basically said we're at the crossroads when it comes to addressing the issue of brain trauma in sport, that sporting bodies, Dr Pierce, were, were focused on concussion almost to the detriment of repetitive physical trauma of the brain. Where, where do we sit, do you think, when it comes to the bigger picture? Yeah, so that that was, you know, one of the things that we talk about in terms of uh, long-term outcomes such as chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a brain disease. And uh, when when I'm also part of the Australian Sports Brain Bank, and when we announce a player who's had uh, been diagnosed with CTE posthumously, inevitably the conversation goes back to concussion and that, you know, you have good concussion protocols. We have the 12-day stand-down or 11-day in rugby uh, and... Everyone's sort of forgetting about the long-term outcomes here. And this is something that we have to keep uh, suppressing. And, and, and with Angus, for example, showing that he's got some micro damage may or may not necessarily mean anything in the, in the space of CT, but it does suggest that we've got to look at the long-term outcomes here, not just getting players back within 12 days. So if he just, uh, this is all hypothetical now, if Angus had chosen to play on it, I, b- I believe he was, I mean, to some degree, given the choice to it uh, uh, and the risk that he would have been willing to take, what sort of a risk would that have been, do you feel? Oh, well, I think, you know, seeing seeing what I've seen in, in my research program, it would have been actually quite a significant risk because uh, uh, with every subsequent concussion, uh we don't still know the exact mechanisms, but we do know that with every subsequent concussion, the symptoms are worse. It takes longer to recover. The uh, fragility of the of the brain tissue is is worse. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's one of these things where we see players with a dozen concussions or more, and I just cringe about their long-term outcomes. Now, obviously, you're not involved in this case specifically, unless I've got that mistaken, Dr. No, Pierce. So, no. so what when it shows a deterioration of the brain, can you possibly put that into layman's terms, what the <coughs> specialist would have seen in those scans? Yeah, so as you said, I'm, I'm not directly involved, so I don't know exactly what scan they use, but I'm anticipating 
it was uh, a fairly advanced uh, scan called diffusion tensor imaging that can actually show some really good resolution of the neurological pathways of the brain. So almost like what we call tracks mm. of the brain. And this scan can pick up um, potential damage because you'll see little black spots where there should be colours. And maybe those little black spots were, were demonstrating that there is you know, some sort of impairment, possibly damage, micro damage that then would be seen as, okay, you need to seriously think about this because we shouldn't be seeing these sort of uh, uh, signals come up on the, on, the brain, on the scan, sorry. So we get texts in real time here, Dr. Biz, of course, um, mm. via a little machine here, which you'd be aware. Now, he, th this text has landed, and there's quite a few of them as well. So uh, David's dropped us a line to say some players are more susceptible to concussion, like some to ACLs and some to hamstrings, some to dislocated shoulders. Footy is a brutal game. Is it... It's, it's clearly not one size fits all, but 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 the risks uh, are there for for us all, and we're all um, under the one, the same banner in terms of the rules and the way the game's legislated. How do you address a statement like that? Yeah, look, you know, you play a contact sport, there'll always be concussions, and so I, you know, I've never really been about trying to prevent concussion per se, but rather than managing concussions better, and that would mean things like you know longer timeouts, uh, more. Trying to introduce biomarkers like blood biomarkers or, or other biomarkers to show when a player is ready to return to play because relying on symptoms only isn't a good enough indicator. Because many players say, Well, I'm fine, I look, you know, and they can mask a lot of symptoms. And so we need to have better ways of managing players. Um, and, and some players do are more susceptible, and we think that that may be due to a genetic disposition, but we're still a long way from finding out what gene or, or number of genes are going to be involved in that and then there's the ethical debate of whether we you know discriminate against someone who's more likely to be concussed and we don't pick them so yeah. it opens up a whole can of worms yeah so just on this the question again a lot of people ask and i'm sure you get this all the time is you know doesn't the game carry inherent risk i mean with everything you know and understand about concussion and and cte can can the risk of brain injury ever be legislated out of the game not unless they make it completely non-contact. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there needs to be some element of uh, a disclosure, just like they do in, in boxing and combat sports. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's a conversation for other organisations to have around that. Um, but if you're playing contact sport, there's always going to be concussions. As I said, you know, we really need to be looking at managing players and having a change in culture around not trying to get back too quickly. You know, what I talk about in seminars is that a couple of extra weeks off could extend your career by years and don't be so quick to try and get back on, on the field um, because you could be doing more damage and, and retiring at, at 18, 19, 20, 21 years of age. Yeah, now just on that, Nathan Murphy at Collingwood, I'm not sure if you're up to speed with this at all, uh, Dr. Pierce, but his concussion uh, history, if you like, goes into double figures now. Now, he's been medically cleared to resume but he said the other week that actually, well, you know, from a confidence point of view and in his own mind, he's simply not ready to come back, which I thought was a, a big and a brave admission from a, from a professional player as well. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, and this is the this is probably one of the biggest issues for a player is, you know, what happens if it happens, you know, if I get concussed again and, and these sort of questions that they've got to try and deal with. So, um, yeah, I, I think players are now starting to become aware and understand and and I sort of hope that this means that we can still get players coming back and playing but just not as quickly as everyone expects them or wants them to 
We're speaking to concussion CTE research expert, Dr. Alan Pierce. Alan, the AFL over the last, I think, maybe two decades, 20 years, have made more than 30 changes to their rules, their match review, their tribunal guidelines over the over that time to further protect the head. They're yet to respond to State Coroner John Kane's recommendations that include the limiting of contact in training. Are you supportive of, of a change along those lines? Yeah, that's certainly one of the areas that uh, could be controlled in trying to reduce the number of uh, impacts. So this is more relating to CTE rather than concussion. Yep. So people need to understand that this is not a not a concussion issue. This is a CTE issue. And you can get CTE without even being concussed. So we have cases around the world in other sports where a player has never been concussed and has been found to have CTE and, and brain degeneration just through the exposure. So this is trying to reduce the exposure of little impacts, sub-concussive impacts, uh, and, and ways that they can do that is by m- modifying training practices. And they're doing that in rugby union in the UK, for example. So do you have a clear and identifiable I mean, a list of recommendations that you would like the AFL to, to do from a proactive sense that, Angus, sense that Angus Brayshaw touched on yesterday, whether it be longer time out from the game as well, which would appear to be more reactive. But what more proactive changes would you like the game to um, to implement, do you think, Dr. Pierce? Yeah, that, I mean that's a that's a good question because you know the, there's a, a few things that we need to be implementing now for future generations, but it it certainly is a mindset change. And and I think one of the major things is that we need to, and this one always fires up people, so get ready for your text messages <laughs> coming through. But we need to modify our sports for kids up to the age of 14, and we need to have possibly a non-contact version of the game until the age of 14 because it significantly reduces the risks of exposure to impacts, like hundreds potentially, if not thousands. But also, and I get a lot of allied health practitioners you know, frustrated where kids are, may have seven or eight concussions in one year and they're still thinking that they can go back and play. All the parents say, yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong. They've only had eight concussions this year. Um, what's wrong? They're okay. And so we need to reduce that in, in growing and developing brains. And yeah. that's, that's probably the most, you know, sort of the biggest one. And just on that, why do you say under-14s? Is that because at that age, adolescent age, obviously the brain is developing and everything we know about the brain and its development phase, that it's, that it's even more vulnerable, it's as vulnerable as it, it'll ever be at that time? Um, well, you know, we know that the brain keeps developing until mid-20s, actually. But, uh, you know, it's, I think it's unreasonable for us to suggest that there should be modification even to the age of 18. It's a, it's a sort of a, a midpoint for negotiation. And, and we know that from some of the data from overseas is that 14 years of age takes out the first sort of eight years of potential exposure. And that reduction in exposure for eight years can significantly reduce the risk of CTE. Alan, I saw the other day the AIS, I think it was, and maybe in conjunction with Sports Medicine Australia, released concussion guidelines for community sport. And, and attached to that, they had a three-week break before resuming competition after a concussion. Um, again, the 12 days is widely debated at AFL level, whether that's enough time or isn't enough time. In, in the eyes of many, it struggled to pass the sniff test, let alone the scientific one. So when it comes to break from the game, where do you sit with 12 days at the moment? 
Yeah, so I, when it first came in, you know, I said it was a good start, but we need to be thinking about longer because we know that the brain takes longer than 12 days to recover after a concussion injury. So some of our science is, you know, showing sort of anywhere between 21 to 30 days for full recovery. And it's actually quite separate to symptom resolution. And so when players sort of talk about they have no symptoms, a, a doctor tries to, you know, obviously screen them. Um, there's there's no symptoms. Symptoms resolve within possibly minutes to, you know, five or six days. Um, and so it's not a good indicator that the brain has recovered. So we do, you know, certainly support the 21-day recommendation. And, you know, I would like to, as a, from my scientific uh, evidence is that 21 days rest with some active uh, rehabilitation in that period and then you start to go into the uh, graduated return to play protocol so it extends it out even further. Alan it's a, a fascinating chat I mean all for the wrong reasons mind you I wish we weren't having it this morning after uh, the events of yesterday concerning Angus Brayshaw who's uh, been forced to retire from the game at 28 years of age but I find it so educational as well, and we're learning all the time, of course, and it's great to have access to people like you who work in the space. So we really appreciate you joining us uh, this morning on SEN. No, thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure.